And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Luke chapter 11, we're going to re- begin reading in verse 29. Uh, I'm glad you sat down for about a minute. That lets you get some life back in your legs. Now stand back up. Would you just in honor of reading, if you can, I understand if you can't, in honor of the reading of God's word, this is Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 29, and here's what Luke writes. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jodah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation." The queen of the south will rise up with the, with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for just another opportunity to uh, dive into your word, uh, to seek your wisdom, your knowledge. Uh, You have given us uh, your word so that we may know you, that we may know ourselves, that we may understand the world that we live in. So God, this morning, we ask that you would help us to understand what this sign of Jonah is and, and what it mean, means for uh, our bodies, uh, for us to be able to see this light, to understand it, Lord, and for it not to be darkness. Lord, so God, speak that truth into our hearts and we'll give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. There's a segment of philosophy Uh, that assumes that all we need is enough evidence plus human reason. So those two things, evidence and human reason, and we can arrive at the truth. So if we have reason and we have evidence, we can come to the truth. When it comes to the existence of God, most philosophy professors delight to show that we simply do not have enough evidence to prove it, meaning the existence of God, and we never could have such evidence. So at best, we could be logical agnostics. In other words, we just don't know. Or we could abandon logic and just take a leap of faith, which is what they assume all Christians are doing, just taking a blind leap of faith. But we could not be reasonable believers in God because there is insufficient evidence. Now, the problem with the assumption that evidence and reason are sufficient to arrive at the truth is that it it ignores the need for God's revelation to inform our human reason. It ignores the inability of fallen man to grasp divine revelation. 
Now, because of sin, the human intellect is blinded to the light of God's revelation in Christ and the gospel. Just as a blind man can look right at the sun and still see nothing, fallen people lack the capacity for understanding and apprehending spiritual truth in and of themselves. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, talking about those not in Christ, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you see what he says there? Uh, not only do they not understand, they cannot understand because those things are spiritually appraised, discerned, understood. So a fallen sinner can look at all the evidence and the logic in the world and yet not grasp the truth of the gospel unless God opens his eyes and grants him repentance and faith to turn from his sin and believe in Christ. Now it's important to keep this in mind when we are presenting the gospel to unbelievers. Now, our Lord, he makes it clear here in this confrontation with the Jewish leaders, they accused him of casting out demons by the power of Satan, and then they demanded that he perform some miraculous sign to authenticate his claims. He's also uh, underscoring his response to the comment of the woman in the crowd. You remember his response? On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Man, that is key. Jesus is showing us how we should respond to God's word. We respond to God's word in repentance and in obedient faith or we face eternal judgment. I think it was last week when I said there's only two ways. It's either Jesus or not Jesus. So everything that isn't Jesus, that's in one, one camp. And then you got the camp that has Jesus. And that's your only two options. Well, verse 29 makes it obviously clear that Jesus uh, makes his message what we would call user-friendly. Clearly, he hadn't read how to win friends and influence people. As the crowds were increasing, Jesus opened up his sermon by saying, this generation is a wicked generation. Then he proceeded to warn them about the judgment that was to come. That's just not how you keep the numbers increasing, y'all. Jesus shows us that there is a wrong way to respond to God's word. And so first, the wrong way to respond to God's word is to demand a sign from him. In other words, we'll do this if you do this. You show us something here as a sign and we'll believe you. They said that to Jesus on the cross, right? He claimed to be the son of God. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. Yeah, no. Christ, who knows the hearts of all men, knew that a hundred miraculous signs wouldn't be sufficient for these scoffers. They had just seen him cast the demon out of a man who caused the man to be mute. He couldn't speak, and all of a sudden he could speak. They had seen him already raise the paralytic, bring him up. He took his, his pat, his, uh, Pad, what is it? Uh, mat. Took his mat and left. Uh, they had seen him do the miracle with the man with the withered hand in the, in, in the synagogue. Uh, they've seen him do an awful lot. But none of, the, none of those signs brought them to believe in him. Now, what was their sin in seeking for a sign? Their sin was their rebellious, unrepentant hearts. They were plenty curious to see Jesus perform miracles, but they weren't contrite about their sins. Uh, 
They wanted to watch a good show. But they would have been quick to explain away any signs that Jesus had performed because they were not willing to follow him. In other words, their problem wasn't a lack of evidence. It was a lack of repentance. So Jesus tells them that no sign will be given them except the sign of Jonah. Now, y'all know Jonah, right? The great fish swallows him up. There are two uh, basic interpretations as to what Jesus means by the sign of Jonah. In other words, I am going to give you a sign, a sign. It's called the sign of Jonah. What is that? Well, one view is that the sign of Jonah refers to Jonah's preaching of repentance. Jonah went to Nineveh. He preached a message of impending judgment, and the Ninevites repented. Now, the allusion to the Queen of Sheba that's in our passage today, it kind of backs this view just a little bit. She heard of Solomon and his wisdom, and she went to Jerusalem to learn from him. Now, the common factor between Solomon and Jonah were that they presented God's message. The common factor between the Queen of Sheba, Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites is they, they both responded favorably to that message. So Jesus' preaching of impending judgment, unless there is repentance, that is what they claim is the sign of Jonah. And, and there is some validity to that. Others see the sign of Jonah as the resurrection of Jesus. This is, the, this is how it's paralleled in Matthew chapter 12 in Matthew's account. He makes it clear. Now, there are several things in favor of this view. First, a sign was a miracle, and it's really difficult to see how preaching could be considered a miracle or a sign. Second, Jesus doesn't speak of Jonah's or his words as a sign, but rather of Jonah and Jesus himself as the sign. The men themselves are the signs. Third, Jesus uses the future tense Looking, looking to the future to refer to his sign. He says he will be a sign. This is pointing to the future. This is pointing to the resurrection. The parallel with Jonah is that the prophet was a man who, uh, you know, he had in effect died and was in the, the belly of, the, of the, the, the great fish for three days and three nights. And when he went and preached to Nineveh, the man himself was a testimony to God's awful judgment against sin, but also of God's mercy and power to deliver sinners from death, just like he had been delivered. Now, Jonah had sinned by disobeying God's initial command to go to Nineveh, and he had paid the penalty of that sin by being swallowed by this great fish. But when he repented, God had mercy on him. So Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites of God's severe judgment on sinners, but also of his mercy and his power to save those who repent. Now, there's something else important here I want to point out. Note that Jesus, he assumes the truthfulness of the story of Jonah. He doesn't pretend like it's many people to do today that it was just a myth. No, he, he states it like it was fact. Well, in the same way, Jesus' death on the cross showed God's awful wrath against sin as Jesus was, remember, pierced through for our transgressions. But his resurrection from the dead three days later showed God's power over sin and death and his mercy toward every sinner who trusts in Jesus. 
Jesus' death and resurrection was the ultimate sign that proves that he is God's chosen Messiah, the one who would in fact save his people from their sin. The point is because we are all like sheep who have gone astray, we have each turned to our own way, we simply cannot come to a holy God and demand that he jump through our hoops to provide uh, proof, to demand that he do something to prove that, that he is who he says he is. Our need is not more proof. Our need is repentance. God has given us all the evidence we need in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can only come to him on the terms uh, through the way he has provided, through the Lamb of God who died for our sins and as Paul says, was raised for our justification. Well, second, the right way to respond to God's word is to repent and trust in the person and work of Christ. Now, Jesus' words spell out several implications of this, and I'm going to use letters to delineate them. A, allow God's word to confront your sin. Allow God's word to confront your sin. As the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, you're all wonderful people. God loves you, and I love you too. Is that what he said? No. Jesus wasn't in, into giving strokes to everyone to build their self-esteem. Centuries before, the false prophets, they won a large following by crying, peace, peace. That was their prophecy when there was no true peace. And God said that they healed the brokenness of his people superficially. Superficially. Any preaching that does not confront sin is a false preaching. God doesn't heal by giving lots of hugs to, to make sinners feel better about themselves. He heals by confronting and cutting out the cancer of sin that is slowly but surely destroying people. So Jesus began by saying, this generation is a wicked generation. If Jesus were standing here this morning do you think he would start out that way as well? And maybe even more so? Just before the Apostle Paul was martyred, he wrote to his successor in ministry, Timothy, Timothy. And he gave him one of the most solemn charges in all of Scripture. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. You listen. Paul says, I solemnly charge you, Timothy... In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now listen and see if this doesn't seem familiar. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So when you hear the, or excuse me, their, their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, biblical preaching always reproves, rebukes, 
and exhorts. It doesn't tickle your ears and go along with your desires. Generally, solid preaching will rub... You ever heard people say, you stepped on my toes this morning? Scripture will do that. Okay? Um, when you hear the word preached, when you read the word, allow it to confront your sin. God only wounds in order to heal. When Scripture confronts you, don't dodge it. Don't pretend like it's not there. By owning up to sin and turning from it, guess what? We become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Joel Osteen was asked why he doesn't preach on sin. If you don't know anything about Joel Osteen, you need to know that. He doesn't talk about sin. Here's what he said. He says he talks about how we can become better and overcome. He says he wants to focus on hope and not on sin. Sin is too negative. Now, I don't deny that we need to hear about the hope that is available in Jesus Christ. But you know what? There is no hope if we try to come to God without confronting our sin. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross just willy-nilly. He came because of our sin. You have to understand that. Well, B, seek God's wisdom and truth, no matter what the cost. Now, this is a lesson we learned from the Queen of Sheba. Uh, she went to great trouble, uh, effort, expense, and time to travel from southern Arabia all the way to Jerusalem to hear Solomon and his wisdom. Now, Jesus' point was that the men of his day had the very Son of God preaching in their very midst, and they ignored him. Whereas this pagan woman, she was willing to travel hundreds of miles through harsh terrain to seek out someone not nearly as great as Jesus. We've got to ask ourselves, will the Queen of Sheba rise up and condemn us in the day of judgment? We have the completed canon of Scripture, and it's in our language. Men like Wycliffe, and, and Tyndale, they suffered much persecution. Tyndale actually gave his life so that we could have the Bible in English. Now, there are still many people groups around the world who don't have any one, uh, don't have even one book of the Bible in their own language. Do you read the Word? Do you meditate on the Word? Can you say with the psalmist, your law, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces? Meditate on that a little bit. What is God's word worth to you? The backside of that is, what's your excuse for not reading the Bible regularly? We'll see Turn from your sin and obey God no matter how radical the change. This is the lesson of Jonah and the Ninevites. Jonah despised the Assyrians and their capital was Nineveh. They were a brutal, godless people and they were devoted to the destruction of Israel. But God told Jonah to go and preach to them. Well, after his three-day submarine ride and then he gets spit up on shore... Uh, Jonah repented and went to Nineveh. Just as he feared, the Ninevites repented and God withheld his judgment. 
Jonah was actually mad that God did that. I cannot believe, I knew you would forgive them. That's why I didn't want to come in the first place. Jonah had a hard heart towards these people. Well, the Ninevites repented. God withheld judgment. Even the king of Nineveh put on sackcloth and publicly repented of his sin. It was a, one of the most astounding revivals in all of human history. It shows us that no matter how wicked and worldly the sinner may be, if he hears the message of God's impending judgment and yet of, his, of the great mercy that's available to Jesus Christ and he comes in genuine faith to Christ, he will be transformed. In other words, no one is beyond the grace of God. Paul tells us the, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. That includes the raw pagan, like this Ninevite king, or the religious do-gooder. This means that there is hope in Jesus Christ for the worst of sinners. No matter how terrible your past, if you'll repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who bore your penalty on the cross, God will transform your life. And it's from the inside out from the inside out. The men of Nineveh, they're a testimony of what God's grace can do with any sinner who will repent and believe the gospel. Well, D, respond obediently to the light that you have been given and you'll receive more light. Now, this is the main thrust of the parable that Jesus gives us there in verses 33 through 36. He's teaching uh, th about the lamp that is set on the lampstand. He was displaying God's truth openly for all to see. And if a person's spiritual eye is clear, he can see the truth that Jesus proclaims. But if a pe person's heart is darkened by sin, the light does no good. No amount of light helps a blind man, Jesus says there in 34. So he gives a warning here. Watch out that the light in you may not be darkness. Respond obediently to the light that you've been given through Jesus and you'll receive more light. Ignore or reject that light that you've been given and it's going to be taken away and you will be left in total darkness. And if you respond obediently to the light Jesus gives, your entire life will be lit up and you will actually be a light to others. You can point to Jesus in this way. Now, with great privilege, there's also great responsibility, isn't there? It's a great privilege to hear God's word preached and to be able to read the word of God in your own language. But that privilege also means that we are responsible to obey what we hear and read in the word. If we respond obediently, our lives will be illumined by God so that we'll know how to live in a manner that's actually pleasing to Him. How would you like to live in this world not knowing what it takes? And most of the world is in this condition, y'all, not knowing what it takes to please God. Because of God's Word, we know what pleases God. We need to shape our lives around that. How many of you have been through a period in your life where you thought your number thing was to please yourself? Oh, y'all are too slow. Y'all are just too slow. No, we need to figure out and do what pleases God. He says if we, dis if we disregard the word, even the light we have received will become darkness. That's kind of scary. 
Okay, be obedient to the word. E, disregard the light that you have been given and you're going to face eternal judgment. It's plain from our text that Jesus believed in a coming judgment where all of the living and the dead will be present. The queen of Sheba and her retinue will be there. The people of Nineveh will be there. Uh, the men of Jesus' day will be there. You and I and everyone we know will be there. God, the righteous judge, will judge every person based on the light they received and their response to it. Paul argues in Romans 1 and 2 that God has made himself evident to all people through creation and conscience. Then he goes and he, he, he kind of comments on it and says, but men did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they, came, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. All people have violated both the law of God and their own consciences and so they stand justly condemned before God without excuse is the way Paul says. Any darkness in their lives is not God's fault. It's due to our own sinfulness, to our stubborn refusal to obey God's word. So all people need a savior uh, to be saved from this coming judgment. And thank God, he has provided that savior. And that's my last point here, F. Our faith must be in Jesus Christ, who is God's only way of salvation. Jesus is the lamp that is on that lampstand. It's set there for all to see. He and his teaching is the something greater than Solomon, the something greater than Jonah. His death and resurrection from the dead is the sign that we need to confirm that he is God's chosen one. He's God's savior. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15 that the entire Christian faith rests on the reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead. If we don't see him and flee to him for refuge from God's wrath, the problem is with our darkened eyes, not with his shining light. His light shines plenty bright, but darkened eyes just do not see it. We have to cry out to God for eyes to see the light of Jesus Christ who offered up himself as the perfect sacrifice for sinners. Peter says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, given among men by which we must be saved. It is Jesus and no other. So the issue isn't that you need more evidence. The issue is that you need repentance. You need a Savior. You need to recognize that Jesus Christ is that Savior. He offered himself on the cross to pay the price that you deserve, that, that was designed for you to pay. If you'll turn from your sin and trust in Christ as your sin bearer, you're going to be flooded with light from God. And you'll be able to say, I once was blind, but what? Now I see. We only see because we see the light of Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, it's put before us that we, we have only one of two options. It's either Jesus or it's not. And there's an awful lot of things that this world puts in our path to take the place of Jesus, to take the, the place that is rightfully his. 
So God, I pray this morning that you would do what you talk about in Ezekiel and and take out hearts of stone and, and give us hearts of flesh that are responsive to you, that can actually see and understand the truth of the gospel. We pray that by your great might, you would draw people to yourself this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ultimately, this is a, um, this is a either you know Jesus or you don't type of sermon, right? Either you recognize the light and you have responded to it obediently, which is what believers do. Do we, do, do we respond perfectly? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. But we try. We strive. We press on, as Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, so I hope that's you. But there may be someone out here who maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you can tell me word for word what the gospel is, but it still means nothing to you. You've seen it with your physical eyes. You've, you've understood it with your mind, but it hasn't grasped your inner being. God will give you eyes to see trust in Christ when you do you're going to see it it will be it will be a a high water mark in your life because now you will understand all the stuff that you've maybe heard in the past that just kind of go yeah I've heard that my whole life all of a sudden it's going to make sense and you're going to be oh my goodness so if you don't know Christ this morning you need to come and just, just share it with me. I'll take you to Scripture, show you what it means to trust Christ, to believe in Him, to, to depend on what He did for you on the cross. Okay? Now, there's a lot of people that believe that, 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 that Christ's death on the cross, and they profess to be Christians, that His death on the cross did not do anything in terms of our sin uh, between us and God. Uh, that it was just a great example It shows us uh, a a great example of love and a great example of obedience, but it did nothing to deal with our relationship with God. God is really, yeah, we know we sin, but he forgives us. Jesus was just an example. That is, that goes against so much teaching of the New Testament. Jesus died in our place. Have you grasped hold of that truth? That if he had not done that, that when you die, you would be separated from God forever, enduring the wrath of God against your sin. Jesus took that sin on the cross and paid the price. You put your faith, your trust, your belief in that, and God saved you. It's that simple. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? You either believe in Jesus or you don't. And like I said, the don't can be a billion other things that you do believe in. Jesus is the only way to salvation. If you're not sure where you're at, you need to come talk to me too. All right? Let's be sure when we walk out of here this morning. I hope that you're not going to be sure I do not know Christ and you walk out of here. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. If God has shown you that, yes, you are not his child, that you need to trust him, you need to do that today. You won't regret it. (laughs) Forever you will not regret it. Do it today. 
If you'd like to join our church, I just encourage you to come forward at this. We have a song of invitation. Uh, share it with me. We'll do a little paperwork and see about getting you, getting you going with us here at First Baptist. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. If the Lord is, is speaking to you, I want you to just come forward and share it with me. Maybe you just need to get something right with God. You can do that right down here. Just bow the knee before God and spend a little bit of time with Him. But whatever your decision, you come if God is speaking to you. Miss Ruby? Listen, guys, glad you were with us this morning. Uh, hope God uh, blesses you this week, and I want to encourage you to be spending time with Him. Um, how many have kind of, you're, you're in a position in life, or maybe even with your work, because of what's going on with COVID, you kind of lose track of days? The days just don't mark themselves like they did. Uh, so you can get out of sync, is my point. Don't get out of sync with God. Take the time to spend with him that you should. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.